Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. And by Jamie Lang, Ellen Gross, Mandy Booty, Chantel Oliver, Mari B. Hedgecoth, Monique Harris-Pixado, and Jill Harrigan. Katie. Hi, Olivia. Many times in this podcast, we start with our character's birth. Uh huh. I think this time, the most interesting and most useful way to start this episode is to kill our subject. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so, we're going to start with the death of the woman that we're talking about today. Mm. Jemima Wilkinson died in 1776. Oh. In colonial New England from typhus. Oh. Which was brought to her town a warship arriving. Oh. For the American Revolution, which is just kicking off. This warship is called, in the peak of all ironies, the Christopher Columbus. Ah. <laughs> Columbus just never stops yeah. bringing <laughs> pandemic to the United States. <laughs> so in this area of New England, this disease is known as Columbus disease. <laughs> and it is a mass outbreak that kills and sickens huge numbers of people. Mm. Now, we only have conflicting newspaper and secondhand accounts of what happens here. So we can't be exactly sure what happened to Jemima Wilkinson. Okay. But according to many friends and supporters of Jemima Wilkinson, what happened is this. Jemima Wilkinson died. And the person who rose from Jemima Wilkinson's sickbed was named Public Universal Friend. Oh, in in Jemima Wilkinson's body? Well, maybe. Oh, <laughs> that's a very Quakery name. Right. Yeah. Friend meaning Quaker. Jemima Wilkinson was a Quaker. Mm. And this is one of the most fascinating and crucial characters for understanding colonial New England religious culture. Mm. Cool. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. So to learn more about Jemima Wilkinson and Public Universal Friend, I talked to Michael Bronsky. My name is Michael Bronsky. I'm professor of the practice in media and activism at Harvard University in the Women, Gender, and Sexuality program. 
I have been an LGBTQ activist since 1969, a freelance journalist. I was an organizer. I've been a professor for the last 20 years, first at Dartmouth College and now at Harvard University. And I've written a bunch of books. He wrote A Queer History of the United States and A Queer History of the United States for Young People, <laughs> both of which are fantastic and I highly recommend. I've never met anyone who has heard of Public Universal Friend. I had not heard of Friend until last year when reading Michael Brodsky's book. Mm -hmm. Friend has just been completely erased from not just women's history or queer history, but also from religious history, which is really strange because Friend was so important to the religious movement and the religious changes that happened in colonial New England and early America. You mean Friend was, like, famous and influential? Extremely so. Ah. Friend was a hugely influential and important preacher in colonial New England. Interesting. And so today we get to delve into not just issues of gender and identity and sexuality and all of those really interesting things, but <laughs> into the religious culture that was being as revolutionized as the political culture uh -huh. of this brand new nation yeah. was. So I, I want to talk about one of the most curious figures of the American colonial period, particularly around this person. I'm being very careful with my pronoun. This person <laughs> raises really important questions about religion and about gender. In, in early American history. Jemima Wilkinson was born into a very large white Quaker family in Rhode Island in 1752. She was the eighth child and the fourth girl out of 12 kids. Her father was a Quaker. Her mother was not a Quaker, but attended Quaker meetings. If our listeners know a bit about Quakerism, you, there's no expectation of membership. Everyone is welcome to mm -hmm. any meeting. And there, especially at this point, there is absolutely no push to proselytize or missionary yeah. anybody. It is just an open society. We'd love to have you if you'd like to come. And if not, that's fine. We don't know a huge amount about Jemima Wilkinson's childhood. Jemima was very deft horse rider. Uh, she received a, a good religious education, was able to actually quote large parts of the Bible, both Hebrew Bible and the Gospels at length, as well as Quaker texts. She is getting a broad religious education. She apparently was very good with plants, which many women were at that time, which explains to some degree her ability as a healer later on, what was called hundred years ago, folk medicine, which we now think of as actually herbal medicine. Which, as Michael Bronsky points out, then they called medicine. Yeah. <laughs> and so she is a medical practitioner and well known for her herbal cures and remedies. Mm -hmm. Her family is very devoted to the Quaker ideals of peace and community and service. And they're good Quakers mm -hmm. who embody those values of Quakerism. 
Jemima was a very devout Quaker. Um, Quakers do not proselytize, but what they do is that they give witness and they allow anybody to speak, right? So from the beginning, Jemima was used to everybody, men and women, at a meeting being able to speak. In Quaker meetings, there is not a preacher, there is not a leader, anyone can speak. Mm -hmm. You sit in silence and anyone who would like to stand up and testify can testify. She is used to a much more egalitarian gender balance in all aspects of her life. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we think of that as a new thing, like a modern movement, but really right. <laughs> not just Quakers, but it, in during the Enlightenment, that was a major movement. A lot of people were living that way 300 years ago. <laughs> yeah. She's growing up in what we now would be very tempted to call a progressive hmm. community or a modern community, but it's not modern at all. There have always been communities like this yeah. in every culture that pushed back against any sort of strict gender construction. Yeah. When she is a teenager, she starts becoming interested in another religious group called the New Light Baptists. Which really uh, sort of emerges in America coming out of the first awakening. And they, they really are evangelicals in many sense, right? They go out preaching. So she becomes very interested in that. The New Light Baptists were essentially a rejection of, of the sort of dourness of Calvinism. So it was very much a sort of hopeful religion about salvation. They are another sort of dissenter group that comes from England, like the Quakers, like the Shakers, mm -hmm. breaking off from the Church of England and very conversion-oriented. Feeling-oriented. Yeah, and charismatic. Mm -hmm. But they differ from a lot of the other evangelical groups that are coming to the colonies at this point in that they're very, the word that I keep reading is joyous. Huh. Humankind can be saved share the good news. So it's it's a much more upbeat kind of <laughs> uh, religious message than many of what we associate with sort of fire and brimstone yeah. early evangelicalism. This is also an interesting combination for a teenage Quaker girl to be combining these two things in her life. <laughs> so at the age of 18 or 19, Jemima comes down with a very bad case of typhus, which is actually called Columbus disease in Rhode Island because the ship called the Christopher Columbus brought it to the colony. 1776, right? So literally she is coming down very ill during the revolution. And Jemima Wilkinson is severely ill. She is in and out of consciousness. They are very afraid that she is going to die. In this many days of fever, Jemima Wilkinson began having visions. She saw, quote, archangels descending from the east with golden crowns upon their heads, proclaiming room, room, room in the many mansions of eternal glory for thee. I am completely fascinated with this. What does that mean? Who are these angels speaking to? Is this a, a specific vision for the recipient of these visions is this a general vision for humankind yeah either way i i 
I got real goosebumps the first time I read that. It, it resonated with me now. Mm. I guess because that's the kind of religion that I am drawn to. Mm -hmm. It, I suddenly felt very strong kinship ah. with this person. <laughs> when the fever ended, the person who was in the bed announced that this person had no gender, and this person's name was Public Universal Friend. Ah. Again, friend as in Quaker, the friends. What a name. It's, it's the greatest name. Mm -hmm. Universal Friend, yeah. which I love. Room in the many mountains of God for thee, mm. right? Public. Public Universal Friend. Interesting. And Jemima Wilkinson was no more. Wow. And Public Universal Friend was a preacher. Now we need to have a quick talk about pronouns. When I did a queer history of the United States for young people, my editor and I decided that we would not say he or she. We would not use the more ubiquitous they, hmm. since friend never said friend was a they. So these, these, these words were really useful for us today in many ways, or not useful thinking about things historically. Yeah. And one thing I've learned from writing these two books, right, is that it really is important to actually see people in the complete context of how they live. So saying friend, even though I use it three times in a sentence, right. <laughs> is actually the most accurate. Friend said that they were friend and had no pronouns. So friend had no pronouns. Now, like most of the things we're going to talk about in Friend's life, there are lots of different versions of this story. Mm -hmm. Because Friend did not write anything down. Classic. Classic religious leader move. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, of course, at this point, a person announcing that they have no gender is fascinating news. And the newspapers were fascinated. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of stories from this time about this person but they are all taking a variety of different slants mm -hmm. with a variety of different agendas mm -hmm. and it's very hard to know what friend actually thought or said because all we ever have is second or third or fourth hand accounts mm -hmm. one of the things which people argued about is did friend say that jemima wilkinson died Ah. And friend was brought back from the dead. Mm -hmm. Did friend merely change names mm -hmm. as some sort of a spiritual calling? We can't know for sure. But what we do know is that it seems very unlikely that friend would have publicly claimed to have been brought back from the dead. Because that's the kind of thing that got you killed in a largely Puritan society. Yeah, yeah that's a very Jesus-esque thing to claim and very dangerous. And there were many people throughout the rest of Friend's career who claimed that Friend claimed to be Jesus. Oh, interesting. Friend said a lot of things. <laughs> we have very little from Friend per se. We have people who have written down what Friend said. And we all know that that is actually not the same as a primary source. <laughs> right. 
this is why the question of did friend think that friend was Christ comes up. Mm. I think it's ambiguous how friend was presenting this. I mean, clearly, as a matter of the physical matter of the body, it was the same physical matter. Mm. <laughs> but we do have an account from one of friend's followers, which is interesting. One of friend's followers wrote this that friend said and the angels said the time is at hand when god will lift up his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people whose day is not yet over and the angels said the spirit of life from god had descended to earth to warn a lost and guilty perishing dying world to flee from the wrath which is to come and to give the invitation to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's most likely that Friend saw this as more of a spiritual rebirth mm -hmm. instead of a physical rebirth. And this is one of the things that is Again, hard for us to talk about because in looking from now, we mostly want to be surprised at the wrong things. <laughs> the things that we find unusual and surprising about Friend's life were completely normal for the culture and time. So this is a, a rather typical conversion story. Friend began preaching this and first converted friend's family, and then began to convert other people. This is all extremely normal. Sure. Visions are normal. Yeah. Communing with God is normal. Prepare for the second coming. All of this is sure. normal and completely unremarkable. Especially in New England during the Great yeah. Awakening. It's the thing. Right. This is, this is not anything that anyone would have raised an eyebrow mm -hmm. at. That's the part that we now want to go oh wow visions of god oh. <laughs> and that's odd to us now whereas for many of us now we just go oh, okay they had no gender sure yeah <laughs> and at the time that would have been the now wait what now mm -hmm. how what yeah <laughs> right that's not that's not a thing <laughs> in colonial new england the problem with the visions of <laughs> angels and things like right. that and again us wanting to put terms backwards my first impulse was to say oh friend is non-binary mm -hmm. we can't say that that wasn't a thing we don't know what friend was yeah and we can't apply words backwards that didn't exist mm -hmm. so uh, over and over in this story we have to resituate ourselves and remember where we are and what to be surprised about <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely this idea that you have some sort of deep religious conversion experience and become a different person. Sure. What we can state for sure is that Friend was very clear that Friend was not Jemima Wilkinson. Friend refused to sign any documents that had that name on it, and when absolutely forced legally to sign or in any way acknowledge Jemima Wilkinson's life, would sign an X. Ah. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. 
Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate.com, C-R-A-T-E dot com, and use the code HERNAME, all caps, you'll get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription. Check them out now at girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E dot com. And when you order, make sure you use the coupon code HERNAME, all caps, so that they know we sent you. friend dressed a, a manner that was perceived as androgynous to some degree, although on the more on the masculine side. We have to remember that my clothing was very, very gendered. Mm. There was no unisex. Right. Friend essentially wore a long coat, usually filled in around the neck with a scarf or something that looks like an ascot. Like a, a long preacher robe kind of thing mm-hmm. that male preachers would have worn. But again, there aren't Quaker preachers, so this isn't coming from a, a Quaker yeah. influence. This is friend pulling yeah. aspects from different societies. A wide-brimmed hat, almost identical, I suspect, with the hat we see on the Quaker Oats box mm. with William Penn. Friend never wore the requisite hair cap that women wore. So friend begins preaching, which is odd in and of itself for a Quaker, but begins holding meetings anywhere, as is very common for the time meetings are happening outdoors, in churches and meeting houses, meetings are happening in homes. Mm -hmm. Anywhere friend can find people to listen, friend is preaching. And people love it. Oh, Friend is a fascinating public figure as the newspapers get a hold of this story. Sure, yeah. Lots of people were just sort of looky-looing, I'm sure. Yeah. But many people were very drawn to Friends' religious teachings and became followers. What was Friend teaching? Friend begins preaching and, and gets a following. And Friend, apparently, we only have secondhand reports. Friend never wrote sermons. Friend apparently would speak for two and a half hours off the top of Friend's head. Friend had a large range of biblical references that Friend used. Friend favored the book of Revelation from the Gospels, which is actually fairly apocalyptic, and was preaching that the end of the world was coming very soon, which was actually not at all out of step with other religions at the time. Even in a fairly civilized place like Rhode Island during the revolution, it seemed possible that the end of the world could come fairly soon. Was friend preaching room, room, room for all? Yes. Hmm. And again, for a Quaker, less surprising, right? Yeah. Quaker meetings are open. Right. Quakers are committed to social justice as one of their core principles. Mm-hmm. Friend takes that and carries it one step farther. Meetings are open to anyone of any race, including indigenous people, mm-hmm. which was extremely unusual for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that ends up getting friend in trouble. The colonialists do not want people listening to and championing the causes of the indigenous people they are trying to push out of Mm. the land they want. And friend is still extremely committed to social justice, to caring for the poor, to 
hospitality as a virtue. Everyone who attends any of Friends meetings gets fed, mm. no matter why they're there. Anyone who would like to come and eat can come and eat, mm. um, much like Sikh religions now, that one of the core principles is feeding people, is making sure everyone has material needs met before you tend to spiritual yeah. needs. Friend had rather conventional morality, an emphasis on abstinence from sex, fairly following the dictate of St. Paul that is better to marry than burn. And, you know, sex was okay if you were married. Many people probably have heard of the Shakers, who are another offshoot from Quakers at this point that believe in abstinence. Friend is sort of a midway point. Abstinence is best, but if you must, you can marry. Huh. It is a very Quakerish communal good kind of society, and they do eventually form communities. Friends, followers purchase a large amount of land in New York State. There's some arguments. They think it's in Pennsylvania. It ends up being in New York State. There's an argument between Pennsylvania and New York State <laughs> and the British government and the <laughs> indigenous people whose land it really is mm -hmm. about who owns this land. But they do form a city called Jerusalem ah. and they own all of the land in common, but it isn't a commune. People own, in quotations, individual pieces of land and they have their place mm -hmm. on this land. So it isn't like Shakers, where there are just giant communal mm -hmm. structures. And the question has always been, what is Friend simply an, an anomaly? Is, is Friend, I mean, many people then, and even some people in later history, thought Friend was sort of a huckster mm. with a good gimmick. There are, again, these newspaper reports, and that's mostly what we have to go on. And many newspaper reports are claiming that Friend is a huckster con person. Yeah. You know, just in it to profit. Yeah. Although then falls apart with that Friend never benefited at all, except for getting a lot of publicity for Friend. Friend owned nothing. Mm. Friend would not sign legal documents and therefore had literally no material property. Mm. And any land or anything that Friend ever did purchase was held by friend's friends in their names <laughs> uh, because friend would not sign legal documents under the name of Jemima Wilkinson. One or two scholars say that, that friend was literally taking the words of Paul to heart when Paul says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Mm. But I think what, what makes the most sense to think about this is that if you think about America at this time, right, America is pulling away from Great Britain, it's really inventing itself from the bottom up, and it's really inventing along with everything else, like democracy, a government, a constitution, a declaration <laughs> of independence, right, it's actually rather intent on culturally breaking away from Great Britain and inventing a national literature, a national theater, a national school of art, and a new version of gender. So there's a huge impulse across the country to actually reject British masculinity, which is seen as foppish and effeminized, even though all of our founding fathers were rather fruity looking wigs. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in America, we, we really begin reinventing gender and we come up with over the next you know decade, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, this, the strong American man who goes out in the wilderness and mm. conquers the wilderness, unfortunately also killing indigenous people, right? And the American woman is also reconceived, right? I mean, people don't realize, right, that, that Abigail Adams, beside writing those incredible letters to John Adams, demanding freedom for women as well, also ran the farm and was a major right. investor <laughs> in New York investment houses yeah. during this time. You know, so the, the new American woman is as much of an invention as the new American man. You know, so I think if we put friend pretty much inventing a presentation of gender that is completely new, Mm. It makes total sense in that context. Mm. So even this, what looks like we look back and go, wow, that's wild that someone is doing this gender play mm-hmm. in 1776. It wasn't. This was an odd extreme of it. But the idea of breaking down these gender norms and who should wear what and who should do what, it's totally normal. So Friend is inventing an entirely new form of American religion that pulls from all of these known forms, but also creates something new. It isn't just a conglomerate. It is a new way of thinking about what religion is for, Mm. about what your responsibility is as a member of a religion. So it's a really fascinating mixture Mm -hmm. of all of these religious movements that are happening around Friend at this time Mm -hmm. and really innovative and creative and influential because Friend has many followers and Friend is extremely well known. Mm -hmm. This is an important religious movement. Like how many followers? Thousands. Dang! It's a big deal. Friend goes to Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania. The entire family is disowned by the Quakers who began seeing them as sort of competition. And Friend preached on street corners, in meeting houses, in people's homes. Large groups of people would come. There are a lot of firsthand news reports, many of which are contradictory, but Friend was getting a lot of attention at the time. The revolution's going on. Friend's actually preaching to British soldiers and to American soldiers. So it's a radically inclusive community. This itinerant preacher, again, is very common for the time. But outside of this Quaker community, anybody who is not a man doing that is extremely unusual and odd. Mm -hmm. And followers start amassing very quickly. This is a message that appeals to people who are in the midst of what has to be an absolutely terrifying war. Hmm. And it probably feels like the world is falling down around your ears. Yeah, yeah and it's such a time of upheaval, political and social. Sometimes hmm. as we are seeing around us today. I was going to say. <laughs> people are ready to just go, whoa, okay, start from yeah. scratch. What do we know? And yeah. they're open to all kinds of radical new ways of, of structuring life. Yeah, once you open the door 
to the idea that you could just change things, you could just do it differently, then it allows access to the idea that you could just change things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could just stop wearing powdered wigs. (laughs) Yeah. And wear coonskin caps. Right. We're casting aside our Britishness. Oh, okay. What else are we casting aside? Our our genderedness? Let's cast aside (laughs) our (laughs) Christianness. What else can we just cast aside while we're dumping things? Yeah. Especially when all of those things are innately linked with your Britishness. So, friend eventually moves to Philadelphia. Again, amassing huge number of followers. That's so interesting. Yeah, so so friend is in Philadelphia like the same time as all the founding fathers. Yeah. We're like Continental Congress, we're talking. Right. Benjamin Franklin. Right in the middle of all of this. Fantastic. Benjamin Franklin, also a Quaker. Yeah. In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. The friend is really that fascinating and that public than they had to have. Yeah, I mean, you you know that Thomas Jefferson was interested in yeah. this, right? I mean, totally. of course he found this fascinating. Uh-huh. Even for a Quaker, mm-hmm. Friend is an extremely early adopter of abolition, hmm. strongly encouraged. Again, this is sort of a Quaker style. Friend is not the boss of this community. There is no boss of this community. Yeah. Friend is a, a voice that people listen to, but Friend isn't making laws. And Friend strongly encourages anyone who joins Friend's religion to free their slaves. Mm -hmm. And the entire community is doing active work protecting indigenous people. And that's not making them super popular Mm -hmm. among the people who hold slaves. That's why we can't take any of these reports at face value. Because so many of these newspapers were allied with pro-slavery forces or anti-Native American forces, and so it's to their benefit to claim that this is a crazy person who claims they're Jesus. Mm-hmm. By the mid-1780s, the group decides that they really want their own land and their own place in the world, that they've traveled around the colonies enough, and they really saw it as, religiously, as an exodus from civilization, using the biblical notion of the exodus, which, interestingly, right, is what exactly what the Puritans labeled they're coming to the American continent as an exodus. And not a surprise, in the exodus, they actually saw their new home as the New Jerusalem. This exodus narrative is one that is used over and over and over right, again. Yeah, leave the boundaries of society so that you can be truly free. Sadly, it doesn't really work any better for friends, friends than it does yeah. for than it does for the colonists and than it does for the yes. Mormons. <laughs> Society the world expands finds to you. absorb you, and yeah. <laughs> and the problems come with you. Mm-hmm. And eventually, even in this communally owned society, people began fighting over land. Yeah. Friend gives. Friend's final sermon in 1818 and begins to suffer from a series of diseases that in retrospect, they didn't really have a name, but it looks like congestive heart failure. So Friend actually dies at the age of 43 on July 1st, 1819. I I love, you know, I love when history happens through detective work. The reason that we can diagnose what Friend died of 
is because we have records of what herbal treatments friend was using to try to combat this process and these remedies are ones which were intended Mm. to calm the heart reduce swelling reduce Mm. pressure on the chest so this does seem like congestive heart failure Now, the goal of this society is following friends' views, and so there is a prohibition on sexual activity. Uh. That means, much like the Shakers, the colony is not creating children. Yeah. And (laughs) membership is dwindling. Mm -hmm. And where the Shakers actively take in orphans and see this as part of their role of, like, we are raising the extra children, and that's how we get children. That's not a, a central tenet here, and so... The colony's dwindling, Mm -hmm. and when Public Universal Friend died, things pretty quickly run down. I think we can understand why Friend may not have featured heavily in women's history, obviously, because Jemima Wilkinson was a woman, but Friend was not. Mm -hmm. But it's baffling that Friend has been so erased from religious history, because this was an important vibrant, influential, meaningful religious movement. Mm -hmm. But since being included in Michael Bronsky's uh, Queer History of the United States for Young People, Friend is starting to gain a little ground. So I I think what's interesting is the position that Friend has actually began to occupy. I went to the Wikipedia site earlier today, which has been completely updated from a year ago. Somebody had done a lot of good, really good work. I think there are several lessons for us today, right? One lesson is that who knows how much is lost in history that we have to rediscover. Yeah. This is just, I mean, at least in my way of thinking, one of the most fascinating figures of colonial history Still completely unknown. But the, the insights that Friend's story gives us into, in, into what colonial religion was doing, what it was concerned with, what appealed to people, yeah. and what people were worried about. Friend is critical to that conversation. And so I'm really excited that a little more attention is starting to be paid. And I really hope that scholars of colonial American religion will pick up this story and and start looking at this and the lasting influence that this movement had, because we know it did, track down more of those influences and figure out what happened here Mm. and how did this put a unique American stamp on who God is and how we relate to Mm. them. Awesome. So I do think that for us today, whether it be in human gender discussions or history, religious history, or even the history of America and what that actually means in terms of looking at religion and looking at sex, gender, sexuality, that Friend presents a, a completely unique paradigm through which we could look at these other issues. Huge thanks to Michael Bronsky. 
If you'd like to learn more about Public Universal Friend and Jemima Wilkinson, you can visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com, where we have lots of pictures and links to other great information. There you can also become one of our patrons and help support new episodes of the podcast. Just click on Donate at our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the podcast and help us make more women's history. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by Andy Reiner, Robert Stoddard, and Boston Singh. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.